I do just want to uh, cover a couple of announcements. Um, the, the one is that next Sunday we are going to be doing a back to school Sunday. Uh, what that means is we are going to give special attention to our younger kids, um, bless them and pray over them as they get ready to head back to uh, school. So especially if you have school age kids, we do want to encourage you to be a part of that uh, uh, time together next Sunday. Um, also this week, uh, little baby Ellen, that's uh, Michael and Lauren Hickman's baby was born. Um, labor and delivery, everything went uh, very well. So we're thankful uh, for that safe labor and delivery. I want you to imagine, and some of you don't have to imagine very much. It's a Sunday morning and you're sitting in church and yet you're mentally distracted. Uh, maybe yesterday you got a letter from a collections agency threatening to garnish your wages. And so as the people have been up participating in service on a Sunday morning, everyone's just kind of sounded like the Charlie Brown adults. And you haven't been paying attention. Then the person gets up and they begin to talk about giving and they read from 2 Corinthians 9, 7 saying, God loves a cheerful giver. And you're honest enough with yourself to say, today I am not a cheerful giver. In fact, today I don't even want to be a giver at all. And so you're left with a difficult decision. What is the right thing to do? Do you say, because I am not a cheerful giver today, I will forgo giving, and I will forgo giving until I feel cheerful about it. And then what happens if day after day and week after week passes and you are not cheerful about giving? Or what happens if after service, you meet someone and you ask them how they're doing and they say, well, God tells us to rejoice always. When Jeff does classes, it overlaps with my sermons. God tells us to rejoice always. And so they say, almost singing, I'm just rejoicing my way through life. And they say, and what about you? How are you doing? And what if you're not doing great? What do you do? What is a what is the honorable thing for a Christian to do? Do you know what? Do you say, you know what? Truth is, I'm terrible. Life is hard. I'm feeling the burden. Kids didn't sleep well last night. My boss is getting on me. There's a collection agent. Or do you say, I'm doing great. What do we do when we experience inconsistency between the actions we know we are called into as Christians and the thoughts, and the words, and the feelings that we experience. A few weeks ago, we talked about hypocrisy, and we said one of the main signs of hypocrisy is this inconsistency between what's happening inside and what's happening outside. And for some of you, that may have raised more questions than answers because you realize as you're living your Christian life, you experience inconsistency between what's happening inside and what you know you are called to do outside. And so what we're going to ask this morning, is inconsistency simply a sign of our humanity? Or is that a sign of a hypocrisy that needs to be addressed? And what do you do when you experience inconsistency? Now, let me tell you, as I'm talking about this, as I'm thinking about this, I wonder sometimes, honestly, if I'm the only person who ever experiences the inconsistency. Because sometimes when I'm at church, I have the impression that no one else ever experiences inconsistency in their lives. So maybe I just need to take a long, hard look in the mirror and ask what's wrong with Craig Ford. The only way I know to preach is to preach by what's happening in my life and what God's Word is doing as He informs it. 
But for those of you who may experience inconsistency, what do you do? I want to start by looking at Jesus and the inconsistency I believe he felt regarding the cross. Remember, he is in the garden of Gethsemane. And there he prays. Going a little further, he threw himself on the ground and he prayed, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not what I want, but what you want. Do you see the inconsistency Jesus is experiencing between what he knows he is called to do to the cross and yet his desire or his wish about the cross? So there's two things that Jesus experiences. The first we could label what I want. And what Jesus wants is to avoid the pain and the suffering and the shame of the cross. The other category is what you, you being God, what God wants for Jesus. And so Jesus has at least two different wants that exist within him. That's inconsistency. And so is it hypocrisy then if Jesus goes to the cross, would we then say, Jesus, you didn't want to go to the cross, but you did go to the cross. That makes you a hypocrite. Is that hypocrisy when you do things that are different than what you're feeling internally, inconsistently? And I think the answer is no, and here's several of the reasons why. Jesus, who is fully human, illustrates that we do not always experience a singularity in what we want. I hope, again, that this is not just me, but sometimes I experience differences in what I want, and I can even want things that are opposite to each other. I remember when I was in high school, as part of a high school, we had a different award ceremonies at the end of the year. And uh, our senior year, my best friend in the world won the Athlete of the Year Award. And I'm going to tell you what I thought. I was proud of him. He is an amazing athlete. There are several sports we got to compete in together. And he deserved to win. And I was proud of him. You know what else I felt? Jealous, envious, covetous. I experienced all of those things. And, and if I were forced to say, well, Craig, which do you feel? I would have to say, I don't know which I feel because I'm feeling all of these things at the same time. They're happening simultaneously. See, we experience things that conflict with each other. Imagine Jesus there in the Garden of Gethsemane. And imagine a journalist is able to interview Jesus about that experience. And they say, now, Jesus, I heard you praying in the garden. And I heard you say, not what I want. So would it be fair to say you don't want to go to the cross? To which I could anticipate Jesus saying, well, it depends what you mean by want. Because if you're asking what I, in my flesh, what I want, then the answer is yes, I do not want to go to the cross. But the irony is I want what my father wants. Therefore, since he wants me to go to the cross, I want to go to the cross. And are you confused yet? How can Jesus say, I want to do this and I don't want to do this? Because ultimately Jesus is saying he wants to go to the cross. So he does something. He says, I don't want to do this, but I really, really do want to do this. And then once again, if you look at your own life, you could say, I've probably experienced something like that. You're walking down the street. Okay, I should clarify. This is probably nothing nobody here has ever experienced because if you had, you're dead. Um, so this is not something you've ever experienced, but you could probably resonate with the emotion. You're walking down the street with your kid, and a bunny rabbit runs out on the road, and the kid runs out on the road, and you look, and there's a truck coming, and you know your kid is going to get hit, and you have a choice. Your choice is either you stay there safe, or you run out, risk your life in order to try and save your kid's life. 
Do you want to get hit by a truck? How many of you say, yes, that sounds like something I want to do? You would probably all say no. But do you want to save your kid's life? You would say, yes. You're wanting conflicting things because of what you truly, truly want. You want your kid to survive. And so in a very similar way, when Jesus reflects on the cross, he is recognizing he wants something, but he has a greater want about what his father wants. So the key thing to note when it comes to things that we want, our desires are not often equal. You think about them like they're being placed on a ladder. There are some things that we want less, and there are some things that we want more. For Jesus, the thing that he wanted more was to obey his father. And everything else was a lesser want for him. So these greater wants, we're going to call this morning, we're going to call them ultimate desires. Our ultimate desires represent our deepest hopes, dreams, and longings. They represent the goal of your life or the overall sense of how you want to live your life. Based on Jesus' prayer in the garden, we can say his ultimate desire was to do the will of his Father. That's what he wanted more than anything else out of life. And then there are these subordinate desires. Sub like submarine, these are things that fall under. They belong below those ultimate desires. And these subordinate desires, they seem important by themselves until they're put beside an ultimate desire and they're gonna shrink. Uh, You're gonna realize how temporary they are, how transient they are, how momentary they are. There's a song that we sing and I actually am surprised we sing it because it has this line, come thou fount of every blessing, has this line, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And isn't there a party that says, well, we should just rip that song out of our songbooks. But it's saying that there is a part of me that wants something. Now, if this was the ultimate desire was to wander away from God, I don't think it would be in our songbooks, do you? Like a song that's encouraging people to wander away from God. But it's recognizing even when we have an ultimate desire for God, there may be these other desires that are prone to wander away from God see if we could summarize what Jesus is saying in the garden. He is saying, my ultimate desire is to do what God wants. But my subordinate desire is to save myself from the pain of the cross. The way Hebrews 12, 2 says, it says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Now, sometimes I think people make a mistake and they say that the cross then is a joy for Jesus. The cross is not the joy. The Hebrews writer says this is something he had to endure. The cross was something that he had to to go through and to suffer through. But the, the joy is what lies beyond the cross. Jesus knows that when he is faithful in the cross, that he will then take the right hand of God and be seated at the throne of God. He will once again be reunited with his father. That's the joy. Because as an obedient son, as Hebrews talks about Jesus, Christ was faithful over God's house as a son. He knows that by going to the cross, he will once again be reunited as an obedient father, an obedient son to his father. So I want us to look at the relationship of these three things, our ultimate desires, our subordinate desires, and then our actions. Notice it for Jesus, his ultimate desire. What was it? It was to to do the will of God. And prior to the cross, he had a subordinate desire to avoid the shame and the pain of the cross. And yet what action does he take? He goes to the cross. He gives his life as a sacrifice for the sins of many. 
So what we have to do is we experience these conflicting desires, as we experience inconsistencies, we have to look at the role that each three of these things are playing in our lives. Ultimate desire, subordinate desire, and then action. Now, some, the way that some people talk about this today is they're talking about the relationship between duty and delight. The relationship between duty and delight. Should we do things we do as Christians out of duty, or should we do them from a sense of delight? And I think we'll find pretty quickly that doing something exclusively from one of these perspectives is going to miss something. Somebody over here might say, Christians should never do things out of duty. If you do things only ever out of duty, then that means there's something wrong with your relationship with God. Remember the older son in Luke 15, who he said of the father, everything I've done for you, it's like I'm a slave working for you. So we don't want our Christian lives to be like that, that everything we do for God, we feel like slaves doing things for God. And yet, so other people will say, but everything you do must be from a place of delight. And if you're not experiencing absolute delight in doing the things of God, then something must be wrong. Now, is there something wrong if you don't always experience pure delight in doing the things that God commands us to do? I think that our Christian lives will call for us to do things in which we do not delight in. Our Christian lives will call us to do things out of which we will do out of a sense of obligation or a sense of duty. But sometimes we will be blessed by delight. So delight happens when our desires, our ultimate desires, our subordinate desires, and our actions all align. And the really cool thing is that there are times in your lives that those things will all come together. What is God's will for his people, for them to be a part of a loving church community? That's God's ultimate desire. And so I want to please God. And, and yet, you know, I love developing relationships with people. I like getting to know people. So I go to church as an action that's consistent with both those things. And afterwards, I feel blessed. I'm so glad I went. I'm so glad that I was a part of it. And you will have experiences in your Christian life where that happens. The very things that God wants you to do are the very things that you want to do. And boy, doesn't this just feel amazing. But then there will be times of duty. That is when you know God's ultimate desire for your life doesn't fit with your subordinate desire. So then what do you do? And what do you think will be the results of those actions? I believe that we should always act in ways that are consistent with our ultimate desires, even when our subordinate desires are not properly aligned. Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. Jesus didn't say, you know what? I don't want to be a hypocrite. Uh, I don't really feel like going to the cross, so I'm just not going to go to the cross because that would be inconsistent. He does what he knows God ultimately desires for him because that's what Jesus ultimately desires for himself. If you are not acting in ways that are consistent with your ultimate desire, you will experience more conflict at the back end of it because you've betrayed something fundamental about who you are. If God wants us to do something and I say, I'm not feeling it right now, so I'm not going to do it, you're going to feel that greater sense of disparity because you know that you have disobeyed God. Sometimes when we act in ways that we know we're not feeling right now, sometimes God will even bless us having a result that's a blessing. I remember an occasion where, um, and I know I've shared this with a couple of you before, but we were, uh, the church was helping someone move, and I got home from work in a grumpy mood. 
You ever done that before? Oscar the Grouch comes home from work. And, uh, and so I'm not going to do anything tonight. You know, I'm just sitting there, I'm, I'm going to watch TV and I'm going to be miserable. That's my plan for the night. And everybody in the family reminds me, well, we're going to help these people move. I'm, I'm not going, I'm grumpy about it. And they're like, you're coming. You know, so the family puts pressure on you go, and so I show up to help. And guess what? Everyone else that was there was so pleasant and so delightful. It was almost like moving people in was like a game. And I began to experience joy in doing something that I did not previously experience joy. The reason I went was because it was consistent with my ultimate desire. It didn't at that moment match with my subordinate desire. But when you act consistently, sometimes God will allow you to experience the blessing of doing something that you didn't even think you were going to enjoy. There's a guy named James K.A. Smith, and he tells a story about when he decided to start running. He was not a runner. He knew he needed to get in shape, and so he's going to run. And so he would go, and he would run, and he'd come back, and his wife would say, How was the run? Say, terrible. I'm aching. I got aches here, and I got pains here, and this is hurting, and that's hurting. It's no fun at all. And that he would continue to run, and he would continue to run. Every time he'd come home, his wife, how was the run? Terrible, terrible. And they said, we were both really surprised when one day I got home from a run, and my wife said, how was the run? And I said, great. How did it go from being something that was so terrible? He continued the practice, the action that was consistent with what he knew that he wanted, and then he began to desire and enjoy the very thing that he previously didn't. We begin to experience delight when we are faithful to what we know we are called to do. You probably already know that the word hypocrite was borrowed from the context of the Greek theater. And hypocrite is this, this person who, if they're acting on stage and they come and they're acting here. But there are times in the Bible where it will use words from the theater in a very positive way in a way that challenges and encourages what kind of a life we'll live as Christians. An example of this is in Romans 13, 14. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. The word put on is borrowed from acting, where there is a, there is a text, this is in the first century BC, so uh, 100 years or so before Jesus came to earth, where a person wrote, put on Terraquin. So he's being an actor, and he's asked to put on a, a certain persona as he gets up on stage. And Paul is saying, so a bad form of acting is being a hypocrite. But there's a good form of acting where we put on Christ, as if he were a garment that we wore, as if we were in front of people. Paul even continues this word and this theme in Ephesians uh, 24, uh, 4.24, where it says, clothe yourselves with a new self. It's a garment that you put on, and when you put on that garment, you're going to begin acting in a different way because you have put on this new garment. Or Colossians 3.9, seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices and clothed yourself with a new self. What Paul is doing is he's saying, we put on the actions of Christ. We put on the conduct of Christ. We put on the behavior of Christ. And as we follow Christ's actions, as we follow Christ's behaviors, then that begins to change who we are as people. See, we've been taught to see acting in purely a negative way in Scripture, but there is a positive way of acting, and there is a negative way of acting. Another positive example Paul gives is through the language of imitating. Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and observe those who live according to the example you have in us. Paul's saying when you're going through your life and you're like, oh man, 
how would I, how should I act or how should I behave myself? Paul says, just peek over, see what I'm doing, and then just start doing the same things. And Paul's saying what he's doing is he's looking at Christ and he's looking at what did, what did Christ do in this situation? I'm going to do those very same things. When you continue in an action, continue in a behavior, it begins to change even who you are. That's why Paul will say in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, be imitators of me as I am in Christ. The difference between these two forms of acting is number one, are you pretending to be or are you seeking to become something? There are some people who are simply pretending. They're not imitating, they're mimicking. They're they're, they're following behaviors without a desire to become that thing. But if our ultimate desire is to become like Christ, and then we have actions that are consistent with the actions of Christ, then those things will meet in the middle for transformation. See, we need to realize that transformation moves in two directions. It can move from the internal to the external, but it can also move from the external to the internal. Here's what Jesus says. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evildoer. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to the other also, as long as you feel like that's what you want to do. Is that what scripture? Wait, turn to the right cheek. Oh, oh, actually it doesn't have that part about how you feel about it. If anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well, as long as you feel like it. No, these are actions to be imitated regardless of how we are feeling about it. If anyone forces you to go to one mile, you go the second. Give to everyone who begs from you and do not refuse to anyone who wants to borrow from you. These are transformative behaviors. You become someone new by practicing something new. Jesus wants to bring all things into alignment so that we would avoid hypocrisy in our lives. He wants alignment between our actions, our thoughts, our words, and our feelings. So what do we do? when we experience inconsistencies. Number one, we honestly acknowledge that we have many subordinate desires. We just recognize there are other things that I long for. There are other things that I desire. Number two, we are crystal clear about what our ultimate desire in life is to be like Jesus Christ. And number three, we act in a way that is consistent with our ultimate desire. So what do I do when I don't feel like giving? I would suggest giving is the best way to develop a positive feeling associated with giving. What do you do if you don't feel like being around Christians? I would suggest that the best thing to do is to do something consistent with your ultimate desire to be around Christians. What do you do when you don't feel like being nice to someone? I would say you should be nice to someone. What do you do when you don't feel like being kind to someone? You should be kind to them. What do you do when you don't feel like forgiving someone? You should forgive them. And in the very act and process of forgiving, you may discover somewhere along the line that actually felt good. And the next time, you'll be more inclined to give. We become what we are by what we continue to do over and over again. I want to conclude with a story about Will Smith. Christian Will Smith. Trust me, trust me, it works. Uh, there was an acting teacher. This was back in 1938, is when he died. His name is Constantine, and I'm not going to even try to pronounce his last. He's Russian. It's S, his last name. But Constantine decided, he, as a uh, director, as an acting teacher, he wanted to change how people acted from what was called mechanical acting to what he called method acting. Mechanical acting said when you're up on a stage and if your character is sad, then you should portray someone being sad. 
oh boy, I'm really sad, that sort of a concept. Method acting said, instead of portraying someone being sad, be sad and that will be portrayed through you. So he says, uh, as a piece of his advice, never allow yourself externally to portray anything you don't inwardly experience. So when the actor is acting as a sad person, that actor should actually experience sadness. Constantine says in method acting. Will Smith then says that he once tried method acting. He says he will never do it again because he, he realized that it was, uh, he was in danger of going too far for a character. It was the movie Six Degrees of Separation and he decided to do method acting. He played a man named Paul Portier. And he said for four straight months, everywhere he went, he said, how would Paul Portier handle this? What would he do? How would he address the clerk at the store? What kind of things would he buy? And everywhere he went for, for, for four months, he would do that. Now, when he went home, he would drop that. But then he said for two weeks, he had to make sure he never dropped the part. And so he took Paul Portier home with him. And his wife would say, why are you talking like that? Why are you acting like that? Why are you doing all these things? And he says he looked back and he realized that his wife married Will Smith, but found that she was actually married to Paul Portier. And he got so deep into it that he began to identify himself in all the same mannerism and characteristics of him, and he couldn't get out of it. In fact, if you remember the show Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, he was, it was on a break of that show, they went back to recording, and his acting was off, and the directors and uh, the other actors said, something's off with Will Smith. He's not acting like himself, like he usually does in this show. And they couldn't get him to break it through six episodes. They couldn't get him to break whatever they thought was off. Eventually they had for a week, they said, just, we're gonna fly in all of your friends from West Philadelphia, just hang out with your friends for a week and we'll see if that changes it. And at the end of that week, he was back to his old self. Sometimes we can get lost in a role. You find, learn, read about actors who do method acting. They will get lost in the role and they will say, I don't know where Will Smith begins and where Paul Portier ends. That's actually what God wants for us to happen in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. What would it look like for your identity to be so entwined with Christ's you're like, I don't even know where he begins and where I end. In the Christian life, we are called to a form of method acting. We do what God calls us to do. Sometimes we feel like doing it. Sometimes we don't. But God, by his graciousness, may bring into alignment all things in our life so that then we can live with the blessing of his consistency. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn towards you and give you peace. And as we go from here, we know we go with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, with the love of God, and with the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. If you'd like to respond in any way, um, it doesn't matter where you're at in life. It doesn't matter what you're going through. At least there's one other guy who experiences inconsistency sometimes. Uh, if you want somebody to pray with, just invite you to come to the back while we stand and sing the song together. Let's go and stand.